Welcome to First Words, a podcast presented by the First United Methodist Church of Florence. Today's message is brought to you by Senior Pastor Reverend Dale Cohen. I want to welcome you to the First Words podcast of First United Methodist Church in Florence, Alabama. I'm Dale Cohen. Today, we're continuing our series on following Jesus. I'm going to be talking about good and bad days. I'm using uh, Luke's Gospel, the sixth chapter, verses 17 through 26, which is Jesus describing um, blessings and woes. And um, uh, it's going to be a challenging text, but hopefully we can pull some really good stuff from it. So Luke's Gospel begins uh, in the 17th verse of the sixth chapter. Jesus came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea, Jerusalem, and the coast of Tyre and Sidon. They'd come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases, and those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all in the crowd were trying to touch him, for power came out from him and healed all of them. Then he looked up at his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, revile you, and defame you on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for surely your reward is great in heaven. For that is what their ancestors did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all speak well of you, for that is what their ancestors did to the false prophets. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Earlier this week, I received the sad news that a dear friend and ministerial colleague from South Georgia died unexpectedly last Monday. When another friend texted me about Brad's death, I was stunned, so it took a few minutes to respond. All I could text back was, so sad, no words, just sad. I lacked the vocabulary to convey the shock and grief I was feeling. And I still find it challenging to put into words the tremendous loss that Brad's passing brings me. Maybe you've had a similar experience where you couldn't find the words to express the deep emotion stirring in your soul. And it's not just feelings of sadness, but feelings of joy, too, that may escape us. Brene Brown, a sociologist who studies human emotions, says most of us have a hard time labeling our feelings beyond the basic three emotions, happy, sad, and mad. We struggle with feeling because our culture celebrates doing, leaving no time to reflect on what's happening in our hearts. As it turns out, the English language doesn't help. English lacks specific words for emotions found in other languages. For instance, English has one word for love, while the ancient Greeks had at least eight words. They include eros, philia, agape, storge, mania, ludus, pragma, and philoetia. The Greek words for love, each of them convey specific meanings, while English requires a string of adjectives 
to distinguish the kind of love we're describing. The frustration of searching for just the right words to communicate what we're feeling leaves us at a loss for adequately expressing those feelings. Sociologists even tell us that without suitable language for labeling our emotional response to any given event, we may even find it difficult to experience that moment fully. In other words, without the appropriate words, it's as if the event didn't happen. Well, why all this talk about words? It's because words matter and carry power, and their meaning crystallizes perceptions that shape our beliefs, drive our behavior, and ultimately create our world. Therefore, we should pay attention to the words and images when studying Scripture. Luke, who wrote our gospel lesson for today, carefully chose his words to convey specific meaning about Jesus and what his life and teachings reveal about his fathers. The words that I read may have sounded familiar to you. You might even know them as the Beatitudes from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Well, you would only be partly correct because I read from Luke's Gospel and Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is in Matthew's Gospel. In Luke, Jesus had a sermon on the plain. Now, to be, to be clear, Jesus didn't deliver his sermon on an airplane. He addressed the crowd from a level place. Homophones like P-L-A-N-E plane and P-L-A-I-N plane, where two or more words sound the same but mean something different, well, that's another way the English language fails us. For Matthew, mountains were a place of revelation. So his choice of location emphasized that Jesus' teachings were something new. However, for Luke, in choosing a level place for Jesus' sermon, he puts everyone listening on equal footing. We get a hint about Luke's intention in verses 17 through 19. Jesus came down with his disciples and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his other followers and a great multitude of people from all Judea, Jerusalem, and the coast of Tyre and Sidon. They had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all in the crowd were trying to touch him, for power came out from him and healed all of them. Jesus rarely healed all the sick people in the large crowds who came to hear him teach. But in this instance, Luke indicates that Jesus healed everyone. It's as if all who showed up that day received a lottery ticket and everybody won. The sick, the lame, the blind, the deaf, the leprous, and the mentally unstable were all given a new lease on life because their impairments that supposedly signaled God's disfavor would no longer keep them from a better life. Their deficiencies were made whole and their status in society could be restored. So then, after this remarkable episode of healing... Luke says, Then Jesus looked up at his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, revile you, and defame you on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for surely your reward is great in heaven, for that is what their ancestors did to the prophets. 
These words of Jesus were revolutionary because practically everyone in his day assumed that poverty, illness, or any misfortune resulted from personal weakness and was a sign of of God's disfavor. Jesus was upending the conventional wisdom that determined people's standing in society then and probably even now. So let's take some time to explore some of the key words and ideas in this passage. First, Luke indicates that Jesus sees us no matter how invisible we may feel. As one of five children in my family, I often had to fight to get attention. Now, I know this fact explains a lot, doesn't it? Maybe you've struggled with not being seen at various times in your life. In embarrassing situations like when we're trying to be funny but end up saying something insensitive instead, We would love to have the superpower of invisibility. However, feeling invisible or ignored in day-to-day life is another matter. Gender stereotypes often leave women feeling discounted or overlooked. Racial stereotypes prevent people of color from being considered for the same opportunities as people like me. Older adults People with disabilities or others with physical limitations express frustration over the assumptions made about them that dismiss their value, intellect, or personhood. Over time, these slights lead to diminished self-confidence and dwindling self-esteem. Countering the damaging effects of invisibility, Jesus saw all people. And after seeing them and seeing their needs, he healed them people who perhaps felt invisible all their lives, restoring not just their bodies, but their humanity and their souls as well. Luke says in verse 20, Jesus looked up at his disciples. Now the rabbis always taught sitting down, and Jesus deliberately looked up to make eye contact with those he was teaching. He wanted them to know he spoke to them in their specific situations. He paid attention to them, and he pays attention to us, bearing the cost of noticing us. And that's why we say we pay attention. There's a cost. And that cost is not only noticing us, but then responding to the needs that we see. But it's not just us that he sees. For then we see that Jesus dwells with the marginalized. In the Sermon on the Plain, Jesus says, You who are poor, hungry, weeping, or reviled, well, you're blessed. And the Greek word translated as blessed is the word makarius. Uh, Makarius is often translated either as blessed or sometimes as happy. But both words seem inadequate to me. Translating makarius as blessed infers that God approves of us because of our poverty, starvation, grief, or rejection, like it's a reward God gives us for having such a miserable life. If that's what Jesus intended, then wouldn't it mean unless we're poor, hungry, sorrowful, or otherwise marginalized that we wouldn't be blessed? I hope not, because I'm none of these. Happiness is, or happy is also problematic, because I can't imagine Jesus saying, happy are you who are hungry, or Happy are you who are weeping. No, those circumstances leave us miserable. And to think that Jesus expects us to minimize the reality of that misery, well, that's ridiculous. So if Macarius 
isn't blessed or happy, then what is it? Again, no one English word fits, so we must rely on multiple words to fully express it. Let me give it a shot. Macarius is the Greek word that embodies the satisfaction we feel from experiencing the fullness of something intangible. It refers to the experience of being satisfied and secure despite life's hardships or comforts. Macarius is the sustaining power of God's loving and gracious presence in every circumstance and situation of our lives. Jesus said that even though the world marginalizes some people, those who suffer in difficult circumstances are the ones assured of God's presence. He was countering the idea that poverty and sickness were an indication that people had lost God's favor. Instead, Jesus declared God's enduring presence with the poor and marginalized. St. Teresa of Avila, the 16th century Spanish mystic, had these same persons in mind when she wrote these words, Let nothing disturb you. Let nothing frighten you. All things are passing. God never changes. Patience obtains all things. Whoever has God lacks nothing. God alone suffices. Since the poor and marginalized have nothing to to sustain themselves, then they must rely on God. But that's not true of those of us who have a lot of resources. And that's why it's also true that Jesus longs for the wealthy or the rich to dwell with him. Luke's version of the Beatitudes is not nearly as popular as the version found in Matthew chapter 5, and it doesn't take long to understand why. Matthew refers to spiritual poverty when he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. In Luke's version, he just comes right out and says, blessed are you who are poor, seemingly favoring poor people over the rich. And then to emphasize his point, Luke adds these woes for the rich that restate the blessings as warnings. In verses 24 through 27, it says, But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all speak well of you, for that is what their ancestors did to the false prophets. These woe-to-you words of Jesus feel harsh to me. Yet we can find God's grace in this passage's intent to emphasize that if our security and identity are tied up in our status and wealth, then we're building our lives on things that won't last. It's a warning to look at our lives and see if we're on the right track. If we lost everything, would our faith in God sustain us? As St. Teresa asserts, is God alone sufficient for us? Jesus doesn't intend for these harsh words to push us away. Instead, he wants to draw us near through honesty and admission. It's only when we've examined our lives that we can know whether our trust is in our wealth or God. If our faith is in our riches we'll miss out on the joy of relying on God's love and grace to sustain us. If our trust is in God, then we'll use our wealth to care for the poor, to feed the hungry, 
to bring hope to the grieving and amplify the voices of the marginalized. And in doing so, we'll level the playing field for everybody. And the miracle is that we won't miss what we give away because we aren't counting on our money for our security. Our woes will become our blessings. And I'd like to paraphrase the woes this way. Blessed are you who are rich, for you have received your consolation in sharing with others. Blessed are you who are full now, for you sat and ate with those who were hungry. Blessed are you who are laughing now, for you walked with those who mourned through their grief and discovered joy. Blessed are you when all speak well of you, because you have demonstrated what it truly means to trust in God. Whatever word we use to describe the Macarius life of which Jesus spoke, whether it's the blessed life or the happy life, it must be a life lived in the awareness of God's sustaining presence in whatever circumstances we find ourselves. God is there for every one of us, regardless of our situation. Now, I don't always get things right in following Jesus. Some days I do all right, living into the kingdom values that Jesus taught us here in the Beatitudes. Other days, I don't do well at all. But thanks be to God, my belovedness does not hang on my faithfulness. It depends on God's faithfulness to me. And again, this is where the words fail me. But as Andre Crouch said in that old gospel song, How can I say thanks for the things you have done for me, things so undeserved, yet you gave to prove your love for me? The voices of a million angels could not express my gratitude, all that I am and ever hope to be, I owe it all to thee. To God be the glory. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. Thank you for joining us today, and my hope and my prayer is that you found this message helpful, and we would love to hear from you if there's any way we can be of assistance to you. Um, And we look forward to being together again next week. God bless and take care. Thank you for listening to First Words. For more information about our services or how to get involved in our community, visit us at fumcflorence.org or facebook.com slash florencefumc.org.